So we're going to continue this morning in our series on worship uh, entitled Attention. God is uh, always desirous to have our full and undivided attention. But I want to start off this week with a, a picture. Uh, if you, Evan, if you bring that up, um, I think it was maybe like four or five months ago, the Kunkler family inherited two kittens. And when I say inherited, I mean a mama kitten had kittens all over our property and we found two of them and we adopted them into our family. This is, uh, this is Mirabelle here and uh, she's a cutie. I didn't go to the next picture, but the interesting thing about Mirabelle is um, we believe that uh, she was separated from her mother too quickly and then imprinted on us as human beings. And we actually think that Mirabelle thinks she's a human sometimes. And uh, this picture was taken, it's hard to tell like proportion and perspective, but this is a couch and Mirabelle is sitting like a recently retired gentleman watching his football games on Sunday afternoon ready to hit the remote control. She likes, she sits like a human being sometimes. And so this particular event right here, our whole family is gathered around the cat just laughing at her. And actually for a second I thought, I hope cats can't feel shame because this cat is going to feel an abundance of shame because we're just staring at her laughing because she's sitting like a person and she does it regularly in different poses. But there is, there's just this humorous element to watching a cat that thinks the cat is a person. Um, and there's really, like, there's no danger in Mirabelle thinking that she is a human. It's not going to affect the order of things. It's not going to cause any problems in the fiber of the universe, right? But here's what we have to remember. No matter what Mirabelle thinks about herself, right? She thinks she's a human. The truth is, is that there is still a gap between Mirabelle the cat and her human family. We're, we're higher order creatures. Whether she is able to perceive and understand that or not. It's just the way that it is. Uh, or to put it this way, I had an ethics professor in seminary who would make the point about the special place of human beings in God's order uh, and how we bear the image of God and other created creatures do not in the same way. He would say, regarding his chocolate lab, he would say, I love my chocolate lab. It's an incredible creature, but my chocolate lab never wakes up in the morning, goes and looks in the mirror and says, what's the meaning of life? Never does that. It's never going to because it's, it, it's a dog. And it's great. It's a magnificent creation of the incredible creator. But there's a difference between the dog and my ethics professor. There's a difference between the cat who likes to sit like a human and pretend it's a human. It's a difference between the cat and a real human. So there's no danger in my cat believing that. Evan, you can take that slide down, lest uh, no one pays attention to any of the words that I'm saying from here on out. But here is the danger that I want to introduce us to this morning. There is a danger involved when you and I fail to recognize that there is a gap that exists between us and the incredible God whom we serve. There is a gap there, but when, like the cat, we fail to recognize those differences in orders of magnitude between us, bad things can happen. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says this. He says, hey guys, listen up. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears that want to hear certain things. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own 
passions. And then they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. So there's a danger where we close the gap between us and God, mistakenly so. And essentially when we do that, what we're doing is we're making God small. We're reducing him down to our level or lifting ourselves up. It's some combination of the two. We're making God small. And so that, so that God agrees with me, so that I can feel comfortable doing all the things that I'm doing, and I can do them and believe that God is cool with it. Because we're in the same level. We're kind of in the same place. But to make God small, to become overly familiar with him, to make him agree with me so that I can do what I want is not how we give our attention to him. God is calling for our attention. Now, I want us to turn where we're going to be for the majority of our morning, Psalm chapter 99. We're going to break this down. Psalm chapter 99 is going to reveal for us the gap between us and God and how good that gap is for us in relationship with him. Psalm chapter 99, verse 1, this is the the worship hymnal, the chorus songbook of God's people, Israel, inspired songs from God to his people that would then be sung back to him. So they're worship songs, but they are embedded with truth that God has revealed and inspired. Psalm 99, verse 1, begins like this. The Lord reigns. The Lord sits enthroned on high. There's a distance between us and him. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Nowadays, to be in relationship with someone who makes us tremble and quake we would call that relationship unsafe. It's kind of a new word maybe in the last several years, but if you're in a relationship with someone who makes you tremble or quake, like, oh, I am scared, we would call that unsafe. And because it's unsafe, we would say, get out of that relationship. It's unsafe for you, so leave it and find yourself out of that relationship and get in some safe spaces with safe people who don't make you tremble when you're around them. But one thing I have to point out right here is that not all relationships are unsafe in the same way. Some relationships are unsafe bad. Some relationships can be unsafe good. Example of an unsafe bad. If you're in an abusive relationship where someone is causing you physical harm, such to the point where like any physical harm that has caused you is not good, But that would be the kind of person that in in their presence you might tremble and shake and quake because you're afraid of getting hurt. That's unsafe bad. And regarding those relationships, here's what you need to do. You need to get away from those people. You need to distance yourself from them. You need to bring some other people into that situation so that you're not there alone because that should not be happening to you. Abuse is unsafe bad and yes, We should be getting away from those relationships and seeking help from other people. But unsafe good, here's what an unsafe good relationship looks like. 
you're at the wedding reception and the song is on that you love. And the dance floor is full, but you're sitting at the table. And you've got a best friend that knows you. They know when, like, you just want to be left alone, but they can also tell when deep down inside you really want to dance, but there's something inside of you that's afraid. And that, that relationship is unsafe because you never know when they're going to walk over and grab you, right? And then oftentimes they walk over to the wedding reception table where you're sitting and they grab you and they say, come on, let's do it. Let's get out there. And you're like, no, I don't want to go. This is unsafe. This is scary. But as soon as they just compel you to get out onto the dance floor, you begin having what your best friend knows is going to be the time of your life and you dance the rest of the night away. Why? Because you had an unsafe friend that grabbed you out of where you were and brought you into the thing that you needed to be in. It's an unsafe friend, but in a very good way. So not all relationships that are unsafe are bad. But God, God is one whom call, he calls us into relationship and he is unsafe in relationship with us, but in such good ways. He causes us to tremble and quake. And it is good for us that he does. C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia series, puts it like this. There are some humans that stepped into Narnia for the first time, and the residents of Narnia are describing for the humans who Aslan is. And in Narnia, Aslan is the figurement of who Jesus is. Uh, except Aslan in Narnia is a lion. And the humans begin to hear about Aslan and they hear people talking with reverence and awe. And then they hear somebody say that Aslan is a great lion. And the humans who don't know anything about Aslan or Narnia yet, they inquire of the Narnian residents. They say, oh, um, is he safe? And the Narnians look at the humans with great puzzlement and say, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. And he's good. Two things simultaneously true of God. So in our relationship with God, we're going to see this this week and next week. There's two impulses that we have. The first impulse is to see God as he is, high and lifted up. Not through the filters that we want to see him through, the corrosion that we see him through, but to see him high and lifted up causes quaking and trembling. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. And anytime you see something that causes you to tremble, there's this tendency to run away from that thing. I got to get out of here. Scary. Wow. Gone. Right? So the first impulse is we see God and we want to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. But the next impulse that's simultaneously true at the same time, it's a double simultaneous there, right? They're both happening, same time. We want to run away from him in awe, like, wow, he's so much. 
But he is so good that we are drawn to him like a moth to a flame. We want to run from him and we, run, we want to run to him and jump in his lap and just like abide with him. Same time, two impulses. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Verse two, the Lord is great in Zion or Jerusalem. His, the place where he rules the world from. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Okay, so the question is, what is it about God that causes us to quake and tremble in his presence? Here's the answer. Holy is he. He is holy. That's why we're quaking. That's why we are trembling before him, right? We see this in verse three. We're also going to see it in verse five. In the end of verse five, the psalmist, right? This is a song here says, holy is he. Verse three, holy is he. Verse five, holy is he. Verse nine, end of verse nine in this same psalm, God is holy. God's holiness is driving the people's trembling and the earth's quaking. That is the unique characteristic that the psalmist is drawing our attention to that inspires us to say, wow, and then just want to, this is too much, it's too much for us, and to get out of Dodge and to get away. What does holy mean? Literally, the word holy means other and different or separate. Right? In a different category than the thing that you're comparing it to. God is different than us. But specifically, in regards to like morality and ethics and goodness in an ethical way. Years ago, I was reading through a commentary uh, from a scholar that I love on the book of Malachi. And here's how he described God's holiness. Here, here is when the scriptures talk about his holiness, he is separate, he is other, he is different in this particular way. He said God's holiness is God's white, hot, ethical purity. Like when you're in a ra- you're sitting around a raging bonfire and after a while there's the point where like it's burned down a little bit but it's still raging and you look in the middle and there's these coals that like blaze with these colors and you couldn't describe the colors because they're like otherworldly. Like that's what he's saying. God's, like those coals indicative of God in his holiness, his white, hot, ethical purity. Or in Isaiah 6, um, you guys know the, the scene where Isaiah the prophet has an encounter with God high and lifted up and he's never had an encounter with God like this before. And, and, and this, this is how it goes down. Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up and his response is, Woe is me, I am ruined. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and he shakes and his response is, he's, woe is me, danger for me here. He's shaking in his boots. I am ruined, he says. Now in the presence of God, why does Isaiah, why does Isaiah say, woe is me, I am ruined? Here's why he answers it for us. Isaiah 6, 5. 
I am ruined for, here's the reason, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among an unclean people. I, Isaiah, in the presence of a holy God, white, hot, ethical purity, now realize that I am contaminated. He isn't. I am. He's not. So just to clarify, Isaiah says he's ruined. Not because Isaiah is small and God is big. That's not why he says it. Isaiah doesn't say, I am ruined, because Isaiah is dumb and God is smart. Both of those things are true. Isaiah is small, God is big. Isaiah, in comparison, is dumb, God is smart. Those are true. But that's not why he says, I am ruined. He says, I am ruined, for I am contaminated, and he absolutely is not. None of them is contaminated in any way. And he's like this blazing coals in the center of a bonfire, white, hot, ethical purity, and it's hard for me to be in his presence. I am undone here for that reason. It's very clear. God is so holy that it's startling for human beings when we see him without our filters without our contaminants without all the veils and filters we put between us in him it's startling how holy he is let's explain that not all light has the same intensity to it you remember your power goes out and you light some candles right that's probably the only time we light candles maybe but when a candle is in your house in the next room it is light. It is giving off luminosity. And you can see the candle and you can faintly see the room because of the light that the candle is emitting. A candle emits light. But that candle emits light of a different category and intensity than, compared to this, let's say we were to stand here and do an experiment and we were to draw down a bolt of lightning that would crash right in front of you 12 inches from your face. Right? Now, I know how to measure the intensity of hurricanes. I know how to measure the intensity of tornadoes. I don't know how scientists measure the luminosity intensity of lightning. But let's say it's a great big bolt of lightning. That's as scientific as we're going to get. And this bolt of lightning just wreaks havoc right in front of you 12 inches from your face. That also is light. But it's of a different intensity and luminosity than the candle that is lit in the next room over. Both light very different in terms of our responses to them. I will not quake nor tremble when the candle is in the next room. But I will quake and tremble when the lightning bolt is erupting in front of me. I will be shaking in my boots and so will you. We have that in common because it's too much for us now let's let's maybe break it down a little further um mother Teresa, let's just all agree was a holy woman in her ethical and moral compass in her conduct and how she chose to live her life she's other she's separate from most people she lives a we'll call it a very lived a very good life 
And if we were to be in proximity to Mother Teresa, right, we may start to feel a little self-conscious about some of our own life decisions, right? Maybe some things that we're involved in that we shouldn't be, because like her holiness is like reminding us of that. Maybe some things we know we ought to do that we're not. There might be some slight feelings of like, oh no, my life should be more because we're in proximity to someone who, who is more holy than us. Little bit of discomfort that maybe she might cause. Mother Teresa in her holiness is like the candle in the next room. She's emitting light. It's good. She's different than most people. There's like, there's this ethical awesomeness about her, but she's like the candle in the next room. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, and the Father and the Spirit, Jesus takes his disciples, three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mount called Transfiguration. And Jesus, for just several moments, decides to tear back the filters that are protecting people from seeing him as he is so that they can just be in like close relational proximity, not be terrified all the time. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that Jesus like reveals his glory and he shines like lightning. And then Peter starts quaking and shaking and saying gibberish, nonsensical things because he's quaking in his boots. Jesus, in his holiness, he's not like Mother Teresa, the candle in the next room emitting a nice light. Jesus is the lightning bolt going off in front of us that makes us say, wow, I gotta, whoa, too much, too much for me. It's overwhelming. I am shaking here. God makes people uncomfortable. He makes people tremble. And it is good that he does. Here's a theological pushback. Uh, you might be tempted to say, oh, Brian, this is, hard. this is a hard pill to swallow that like, when God reveals himself, we wanna, like, there's a tendency to run away from him because he's holy. Because all the time here, we talk about how God is father, right? There's no fear and trembling in a father. God is our shepherd. The sheep aren't trembling when they're around the shepherd. God is our savior. He's our friend. There's no quaking and shaking with friends. God is our helper. He comes alongside and he serves us as a servant attending to us. There's no quaking and shaking with the servant. God is our advocate. He comes alongside like a lawyer and he defends and he shields us. There's no trembling in this kind of relationship or these descriptions of relationship that the scriptures give us and the answer to that is you are absolutely right he is all of those things we're not lying when we teach that God is those things for us he is those things and he is simultaneously holy it's a both and at the same time they're simultaneously true it's not sometimes he's fathering us and sometimes he's holy or sometimes he's shepherding us and then other times he's holy no he he fathers us yes but he fathers us in his white hot ethical purity he shepherds us in his white hot radiant ethical moral purity he saves us in his lightning strike intensity holiness. He helps friends and advocates for us in his white hot 
moral purity that is like the center of the fire radiating like, wow, that's his presence in all the things that he is and he does for us. In the scene that Isaiah describes in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of God. And one of the things that he describes is around the throne of God, he says there are these cherubim. I don't know, I don't know how to classify or to categorize what these creatures are, but let's just call them massive and mighty angels that are flying around the throne of God that if they showed up right here, right, our impulse would be to run and we're all vacating the premises. Cherubim drops down here, we gone! And we're not going to breakfast or to get a cup of coffee. We're going to like think about some things for the rest of the day. We'll be shaking and quaking. These are the attendants who are around circling the throne of God. And Isaiah says they are singing a worship song to him. They can't not. And they don't ever get tired of the same worship song because the one whom they're worshiping is so inspiring. This is all they can say. Here's the song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah documents, as this is happening, this worship scene in the heavenly throne room, in the temple of God, in the other regions that we don't have access to with our physical bodies right now, right? In that place, as they're singing, here's what happens. The foundations of that place and the threshold is shaking and quaking. There's a shaking and a quaking happening in the worship service around the throne of God. Or as the psalmist would put it, as we read already, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, the worship leaders in heaven. Right now, it's happening. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Heaven itself is quaking. How can the earth and his people not also quake because of who he is? Then the psalmist moves on into verse 4. The king in his might Speaking of the king, not the king on the throne of Israel, but God, the king over all things. The king in his might loves, and hear these words, we're talking about ethics and morality as the bent in which holiness is. God is holy. The king in his might loves justice. That's a morality, ethics thing. He says, you, God, have established equity. That's, that's moral, that's ethics. You have executed justice and righteousness in Israel. Meaning, psalmist is saying, God, everywhere you move, whatever you touch, wherever you go, holiness follows you and it breaks out. Justice breaks out. Equity breaks out. Righteousness breaks out. Justice breaks out again. These are the words that he says in verse 4. Everywhere God goes in his holiness, his holiness comes with him. It cannot be separated from him. And his influence cannot be not felt. Verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. When he says worship at his footstool, essentially what he's saying is worship him in close proximity. Uh, in the temple, the place where um, 
The Ark of the Covenant was the footstool of the throne of God. The throne of God is in the heavens. I've never been there, I've never seen it, but that's where he's reigning from right now. And his feet invade earth as his presence longs to invade earth and to make his goodness and his kindness known everywhere. And the Holy of Holies is where God, who exists and reigns in the heavens, meets earth, his footstool. So what the psalmist is saying here is, as we worship him, let us get as close to him as we possibly can. Draw close, right? Remember, our tendency in his holiness is to tremble and shake and to want to run away from him just for self-protection's sake, because he's so much. But the psalmist says, no, right? he's also good. He is kind. He's the loving father. He's the faithful shepherd. He's the helper. He's the advocate. He, he longs for us to abide with him in very close proximity. So we want to run from him, but he calls us, and we also want to run close to him because of his goodness. Both of those things are happening. Now here, I might suggest would be a posture That where people would take before God that is in fitting with our desire to save our lives and run from him and our longing to be as close to him as possible, right? There's lots of postures that I could choose from here. Here's the one that I think intersects those things the best, right? That as we run to him and our desire to be close, we also are shaking and quaking in our boots and it just drives us down, And it puts us in this place where we are close to him, but we are bowed low, saying, wow, wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I feel like I am ruined right now. Woe is me. I'm contaminated. He isn't. But I don't want to, I do want to run away, but I don't. I got to stay here. I'm shaking, but I can't do anything else. This is the posture that makes sense. I'm not saying that every time we worship, we, we, we all got to like move our chairs out and bow low, but it's a posture of our heart that we ought to carry with us in relationship with him as he is. Verse six, psalmist says, Moses and Aaron, faithful followers of the Lord in the past at this time. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Right, this is fantastic. These faithful followers of the Lord called on him and they just said, Lord, we need you. We want to hear from you. We need to, like, we, if we don't have you, we're in big trouble. And what did God do? He responds. He speaks back to them. Right? We love that. That is so cool. Verse seven, in the pillar of the cloud, God spoke to them. Who doesn't want God to speak? God, speak. Your servant is listening. It's so cool. Here's one of the qualifications here behind God speaking to them. In the pillar of the cloud, God spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and they kept the statutes that he gave them. These individuals, specifically here, uh, they obeyed God. Or let's put it like this. They, in relationship with God, they honored his holiness by aligning their hearts and their hands to line up with his holiness. They walked with him. 
as the Holy One. And because of that, they're receiving and they're listening and they're being shepherded and they're being fathered and they're being advocated over. God is clearly like reigning over them in kindness and goodness as they align themselves with his holiness and honor that. Verse 8. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them. Right? Um, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they're not sinless creatures. They're not perfect. They're morally blemished, just like Isaiah was. I am contaminated. I feel it in his presence, just like me, just like you. Right? The gracious kindness of God meets his holiness and he covers over our missing of the mark, our deviation, right? He is good like that, so we can run to him. But, right, there's simultaneous things here that we ought not tread lightly on, right? Oh Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a giving God to them, but this is also true. We got to grapple with this, but you were also an avenger of their wrongdoings. When his holiness gets violated, it agitates his holiness. And then the word here is that at some point his vengeance pours forth because he can't handle ongoing contaminants in his presence and he won't tolerate it and he won't put up with it so God is forgiving of sin that is so good and at the same time he calls on us to honor his holiness by walking in obedience to him And when we do not honor his holiness, he is agitated and his white, hot, lightning intensity, ethical, moral purity will become difficult for us in different ways. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. There's this trend Um, I told you that February was going to be a relationship series. And I chose not to because I could just toss out a bunch of relational stuff, relational wisdom and relational this and relational that. And um, if our hearts aren't set in the right place, all that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't change a thing. So I said we, we, we can't go into relationships because... I think like just what I'm seeing culturally and in the church at large, like we've, we've got to step into to worship stuff because otherwise we're going to miss anything else that we talk about. But there's this trend that I see, right, back to the relational um, thing that we were going to do, where um, I'm hearing people say more and more often, I can't be with my spouse because I don't think I can be happy with them. And because I can't be happy with them, it justifies me moving away from them and separating out of that covenant relationship that I established with them. And when someone gets to that point, there, there is nothing that you can say to argue them back into right standing, into right behavior. Like, it's like you're done. I can't be happy with my spouse, so I'm going to divorce them and move on. But the assumption that is lying behind that statement is this. God is holy, yeah. But like the candle in the next room, 
That's how holy he is. Yeah, it's just like radiating a little bit of light that we're all pretty comfortable around and that's how holy he is. Yeah, if God's the holy candle luminosity intensity in the next room, then for sure, God wants me to be happy too. Because my happiness is my chief priority and it must be his too. And so divorce is the way to get happy. And so God's got to be with me in that. And so everything's okay. And so we just with a clean-ish conscience move, right, in an unethical, unmoral, like breaking God's holy standard direction, but we, we don't realize what we're doing. But the truth is, and this actually came out in the generational panel that I, I missed. I heard the men's event was awesome. I was coaching a basketball game and had to miss it. But I heard Dr. Ron say this, and I heard a few of you guys reference it, that regarding marriage. God is not ultimately, I use the word ultimately, concerned with your happiness. It's not his chief end in life, our amusement and feeling good in the moment. It's not the number one thing on his priority scale. But God is like a lion. In his holiness, he is like a lightning strike, awe-inspiring, intense. And when the lightning strike of God's holy presence invades our space, there is an expectation from him to us that we would align our lives, our behaviors, and our decision with his holiness. It's the only way to honor his holiness is to align with it. I can't be happy with my spouse. I'm going to get a divorce. Uh, You don't mess with stuff like that when you're trembling in his presence. The two are incompatible, which scares me. Personally, it scares me for the church at large. It scares me for all of us. Because if we're not trembling in his presence, we're not seeing him rightly. And the vengeance bearer, he is an avenger of their wrongdoings. That in some way we would be agitating him. And then opening the door for him to deal with us in ways that are different than what we associate with fathering in the gentle, kind way and shepherding in the nice, fluffy way and helping us in all the ways that we want our lives to be better. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot proceed any further with good thinking or right thoughts until you begin from a place of trembling and shaking before him. Verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. And the call here again is don't run from him. I know he's scary. He appears unsafe in his holiness but don't run from him. Run to him and as we're running to him align our lives with his holiness and bow before him it's the place that we were meant and made to live our lives with 
close to abiding in relationship with the Holy One. Worship team, come on back up. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray this over us as we begin to sing. so many things in all of our lives that need fixed. And if we were to address each and every one of them, it would take 5,400 years to address them with specific information and pieces of wisdom and explanations for all the ways that we need fixed. And we ought to explore all those things. But there's something about seeing him as he is as the cherubim see him right now, that induces something in our heart, that shakes us in such a sufficient way that so many things fall off of us that we don't necessarily have to now step into each and every one of them and explain them out of our lives and reason them away and call us in wisdom and discernment and good teaching out of those things. His presence is sufficient and we will teach and we will do all these things but if we do these things without shaking and quaking in his presence nothing else really is going to get through the lord reigns let the peoples tremble he sits enthroned upon the cherubim let the earth quake father in heaven uh, you are kind and you are patient with us in that you choose not to freak us out all the time. Father, we do recognize that we need to see you high and lifted up. We need for the veil to be, right? You have torn the veil between us and you. We create filters that cause us to live more comfortably in your world and before you. Father, I pray that according to your kindness, that you would remove these veils that we have constructed and that you would allow us to see you and to come before you more and more as you are and that in all of the good ways that you are unsafe that we would just worship you in that place and that you would shake us sufficiently in all the ways that you want to shake us to lead us out of the paths of darkness that lead to destruction and to lead us into the straight and narrow path that leads to life So, Father, we submit ourselves before you. Our hearts are postured to bow low because there's nothing else that makes sense. And, Father, we just want to worship you and put our attention on you now. And I pray that you would remove all distractions, that you would remove all hindrances, that you would give us a laser focus to see you high and lifted up in the regions and realms that are beyond our physical eyes to see. And that you would allow us to join you. You have raised us with Christ and seated us at the right hand of the Father, the majestic one. We are simultaneously here and there. Father, I pray that you would invade us with that truth and help us to live and to worship in light of it. And so we release to you our attention now and our affection. 
and in our hearts postured we bow low and we just want to look at you for a while because you're good and you're holy it's in Jesus name that all of this is even possible we pray Amen.